This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. Thank you for downloading the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. This is Series 1, Episode 52, So You Want to Become a Fly Fishing Guide. Let me start off by telling you a story. Uh, the shout-out this week is going to be to my old boss, Stone. His uh, real name was John Corrigan. He was the fishing manager at Orvis Tyson's Corner. He's the one who pretty much got me into guiding as, um, I could say, a, a way of making income. So... Shout out to Dave and a special thanks to, well, no one really this week. Um, don't really have any sponsors that we, we haven't mentioned yet or supporters, so we're just going to go with this. We'll say this one is brought to you by Freestone Media, which is producer Jason. He's uh, helping me out right now with the next interview podcast, which is going to be with a real manufacturer. And he also does the website, and he makes the podcast sound good for everyone. So thank you to producer Jason, and that's freestone-media.com. So let's talk about a story. It's about a month ago, I'm at the Project Hill and Waters 2 Fly Tournament as a, a volunteer guide. It's an honor to do that every year, or the last two years. And I wake up on Sunday morning, and I'm just not feeling good. I've got a little... Going on with my stomach. So that's Sunday, and basically for a week I have explosive diarrhea. I'm not the only one who got the stomach flu down there at the two fly. And I thought it was originally because I had a couple of bourbons and maybe two beers, and I was walking around the tent with my pie dessert, and I dropped my pie. It was a key lime pie, and the other one was like Rocky Road or something. It's chocolatey. So I end up dropping my pie in the grass, and I pick up the pie, and I go back to my table, and I, I end up eating my dessert after being on the grass. So I figure maybe I got something from the grass, who knows, but someone else or other couple people got 
what turned out to be basically a norovirus down there. And it calmed down by the following weekend, and that takes me down to Fredericksburg, where we're fishing for shad stripers, etc. And we're taking the boat upriver. It's about four miles, and there's two anglers on the side of the river, and I don't want to splash them with the wake. So I turn the motor down, the motor dies. You know, we're about 300 yards from the actual spot where we want to fish. It's first weekend of May. It's overcast. It's about 50 degrees, and it's cold. It's windy. So the engine's not starting. Every time I pull on that crank, I think I'm going to crap my pants because I had a Coke, and somehow that carbonation just completely... Got the diarrhea going again. So I'm sitting there sweating bullets. And every time I pull that thing, I think I'm just going to release a trash bag's worth of pudding in my pants. So I'm like, all right, guys, I'm going to start trying to uh, to paddle us up. This engine's just not working. Outboard's not working. So I start rowing. And, you know, it's the tide's coming in, but still, we're, we're not moving anywhere. So what do you do when you're a fly fishing guide and you got to put your clients on fish because it's your job? You jump in the water that's chest deep. The water's 50 degrees. The air is probably a couple degrees warmer. And you pull that freaking boat through the rapids and the fast-moving water, 300 yards, and then you go a little bit upstream from the fishing spot, and then you can push out and drift down. It's one of the things you got to do to make your clients happy. It doesn't matter how you feel. It's what they're going to feel. So that's just one of my guiding stories. What I'm going to talk about in this podcast, and I'm not really ready to do this podcast. Every day I put in a new bullet point, and I figure if I keep doing that, I'm never going to get it the way I want. So I'm definitely going to leave some things out that I can maybe talk about another podcast or maybe just re-record this sometime in the future. Who knows? But in this podcast, I'm going to talk about lifestyle, choosing to become a guide, guiding solo or through a shop, guide life, what it's like to be a fly fishing guide, small business owner life. Making your small business legit, marketing, frustrations, let's talk about clients, and what you need to bring when you're a fishing guide. So let's go through these bullet points. Choosing to become a fly fishing guide, well, just because you're a good fly fisherman and you love fly fishing does not mean you're going to become a good guide. Let's say you can make a a nice uh, dinner for your girlfriend or wife. Doesn't mean you're going to go open a restaurant, does it? No. There's other things that are involved, and I wouldn't say that fly fishing guiding chose me versus I chose it, but I've been fishing since I was four. I've been taking people and teaching people to fish ever since I was in like second grade when we moved to having a lake across the street. So that was uh, 31 years ago. So, you know, three decades, 80s. I've been taking people fishing my whole life. And it wasn't until I started working in a fly shop that I had the opportunity to do it and make money off of it. You know, I used to take girls fishing in high school and be like, hey, the loser has to buy the winner a big lunch at McDonald's. And that was my game. And, uh, yeah, I kind of got a free lunches out of it. Not the way to go pick up girls, fellas, but that's what I did. Becoming a guide is a way of life. You know, when you're an office guy, you kind of – Go to work in your suit, leaving your suit, and the day is done. Um, guiding's away life from the way you look, the way you talk, your presence everywhere, what you do, how you meet people. Every time you drive over water, you watch the news, you're, you're in tune and uh, 
focused about fly fishing 24-7. I'm going to say 20% of actual being a fly fishing guide is the work I do on the water. 80% is what I do here in the house or when I'm out like later today, uh, just checking on conditions. 20% of, of being a fly fishing guide is, is being on the water. And it's hard work that never ends. It's, um, you know, I'm going to say it's, it's a way of life, and you're going to learn more about that. The next bullet point is, uh, and also choosing to become a guide, you know, it's, it's expensive, it's hard, you're outside all the time. These are just things that we'll talk about throughout the podcast. I'm taking a sip of some Mexican Coca-Cola refresco from Costco here because I need a little caffeine. Okay. Guiding solo or through a shop. Do you have a relationship with a local fly shop to get clients? So I'm friends with Richie and Grizz and the guys over at Urban Angler. More on a professional basis, I don't really know if they send me clients or not. I think they stick more to Eastern Trophies as their go-to guide of choice. I know Richie might be starting a guiding business. I'm not sure. But I've been working with Orvis since 1999, and I've got a good relationship with the fishing managers and the managers around the D.C. metro area. You know, I send them customers. I use Orvis gear because I've been working with Orvis for so long that they, you know, I scratch my back, they scratch theirs, whatever the saying is. i got to let that caffeine kick in. So, you know, I, I bring clients over to Dan and Clarendon, and then I'll get a phone call. Hey, uh, I picked up your card at Orvis. Dan mentioned you. Or, um, you know, Dan over at Tyson's, there's two Dans. Dan Ovington, who's at Tyson's, used to be my boss when I worked there back in the day. Got to have a relationship with the local fly shops. If you're working solo, unless you're working through the fly shops. If you're working through a fly shop, you're going to have to split the amount that you make with the fly shop. They're basically like the middleman. They're doing the bookings. They're getting the client for you. You're going through. They're going through the shop. For you to get employment. So when I worked at Breckenridge Outfitters in Breckenridge and Grand Slam Outfitters in Key Largo, the guides would show up in the morning and they'd know who they were taking out because on the books the night before, it was already written down. They just had to show up, take their clients out, boom, bang, done. You know, my job in the Keys was to make sure that the people were on the books, that sandwiches and lunches were ready. And their clients were ready to go once they got in the shop if they needed anything. Flies, sunglasses, basically upselling stuff for that trip. And so there were some really cool days when I worked in Florida. I don't know if I mentioned this, but we'd get a, a phone call at 6 a.m. on a Tuesday. And these guys were like, man, how are the tides today? We're like, yeah, well, you know, it's going to be a in good, good incoming tide at about 11, uh, good outgoing at like 6 p.m., like, all right, we want to book uh, a full-day trip starting at 11.30. We're on our way to the airport. The company Jet will be in Key Largo at the Ocean Reef Club landing strip in like three and a half hours. So these law firms would come in from New York and Boston and Wall Street guys, and my job was to go with the Suburban with the cooler full of lunches, pick them up, take them straight to the docks from the airport runway, and make sure they literally got on a plane. Within a couple hours, they were on a boat. And then by the end of the day, they were back home, and their wives really had no idea that they were in the Keys for the day fishing. But your job when you work in the shop is basically upselling the trips, selling trips. That's a great way for that shop to make money. A full day's trip can be a couple grand, depending on how many people, whereas you know one or two rods is only going to be like six or 700 So selling and then upselling, that's what's going to keep the shop afloat. 
And congratulations to Ned at Breckenridge Outfitters for getting the 2013 Orvis Endorsed Outfitters of the Year. So, Ned, fantastic. And if you work alone, you've got to sort of figure it all out yourself. Um, it's what I've been doing for four years now as a full-time job. So figuring it out yourself, that's what this podcast is about. Maybe you work a nine-to-five and you're ready to quit. Maybe you want to do it on weekends and weeknights, which is what I started off doing when I was a teacher. Maybe you're in high school or college and uh, the economy sucks right now and you want to start your own business and fly fishing is what you love and you've always wanted to, to be a guide. So let's talk about it. Guide life. It's a lifestyle choice. I chose to be happy in life. My wife's cousin was killed four years ago in a plane crash. I was sitting behind a desk and I just couldn't sit behind a desk anymore. It's not the lifestyle I wanted of being a yes man, wearing a suit and tie, going in at seven, leaving at four, never seeing a window, always sick from the recycled air, having to deal with just obnoxious jerks and idiots and morons in an office. Now, one thing I don't have now is, you know, clients are my human interaction during the day. Granted, I've got a two-year-old. Happy birthday today to her. She's two. We just framed a Dave Whitlock bluegill print for her. But I don't have a lot of human interaction when I'm at home planning everything unless I'm with clients. So if it's a slow week, I might not go four or five days without talking to somebody unless they're the cash register lady at Harris Teeter up the street. So it's a lifestyle choice that you're choosing. You know, when is income coming in? I don't have that steady paycheck coming in every two weeks. I don't know when my next money's coming in. It changes by the hour for me. I'm choosing this lifestyle to be a guide. And if you follow me on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, you see the pictures of places I'm out and about. And it allows me to, you know, go out with my daughter during the week and taking her fishing or taking off for a week and, and going to Ohio to see my in-laws. I have a kind of a free schedule that I get to make, which is pretty cool. And I think these, no, these are not alphabetical. So they're out of complete order. Uh, when you're guiding and the fish aren't biting, what do you do? Well, you got to have jokes, anecdotes, etc., to talk about while you're fishing. You got to keep these people entertained. Have your standard jokes. You know, one that, you know, I don't tell clients or anything, but uh, you know, why the I got this from Adam Carolla from the Man Show. Why did the Siamese twins go to London so the other one could drive? But. Uh, you got to be able to entertain people and have stories and jokes and just keep the conversation going. Now, some clients don't talk. They're just quiet people. I talk nonstop. That's one of my faults. So I probably blabber too much, but too much, but you know, I get information out and I'm educating them. My job isn't to make people catch fish. That's the bonus. My job as a guide is to teach them a place where they can fly fish, usually close to home on the way home from work educate them, make sure they go home knowing more than they did when they got to the parking lot, be it how to string up a fly rod, tie knots, where the fish are, why they're there. Everything I talk about in this podcast, basically, and make sure they get their money's worth and want to do it again. That's my job as a fly fishing guide. It's not just to make you catch the biggest fish. I want you to catch big fish. I want you to catch lots of fish, but that's secondary. My primary job is education. That's why I'm a fly fishing consultant. Your hands are going to hurt as a fly fishing guide. My hands always hurt. If it's cold out on those cold spring days, shad fishing, if we're fishing in the winter, it's 
my fingertips are exposed. It's falling and grabbing rocks. It's rowing the boat, getting blisters and calluses, getting hooks in my hand, um, stabbing myself with flies in my pockets, having fish bite me, getting poked by dorsal rays, all these different things. My hands are always hurting as a fly fishing guide. You know, when I worked in an office, I didn't have much, much hand injuries or anything, but my hands are pretty beat up. You'll see videos of me tying flies on YouTube and you're going to see that I've got scars and, and bent fingers and uh, blood blisters on my hands. My hands, you know what? So it was, uh, my daughter's birthday. We celebrated on Monday at my parents' house. I made some killer tandoori chicken, man. If you don't have the Raja tandoori spice, it is the greatest stuff in the world. Side tangent here. You basically mix two tablespoons with like full fat yogurt, let it marinate for 24 to 48 hours and grill it. It's going to be the best chicken you've ever had. End tangent. So my nephew, who's four, David, tells me I've got old hands. I'm like, dude, I'm only 36. And my brother thought that was pretty hilarious. But, you know, kids say the darndest things. So... My hands are pretty gnarled. Um, you know, I try to, I'm always putting hand lotion on them when I'm at home. Uh, when I'm tying flies, you, you know, I stuck a f- hook through my finger a couple weeks ago. I'm always using files to keep the, the dry skin down when I'm tying flies because your thread and dubbing gets caught in it. So be prepared for your hands to hurt. And we were out, I guess we were on that boat that day where I had the explosive uh, runs and I kept moving and putting, like I hit my hand with a cigar at one point. We were all smoking cigars. All right, long days. You might. I'm not an early person. We live in D.C. There's no reason we're out any time before 9 a.m. because the Beltway and 395, the two main arteries where I live, are jam-packed because there are so many people here that don't take public transportation. So, you know, a long day for me. When I was in Fredericksburg, I left at 6.45. I got home at 8 p.m. Mostly that was because, you know, I had clients for – one four-hour, one two-hour, and then one four-hour. The second four-hour turned into like seven because you know the engine died and we had to float and row the whole way back. So it was a very long day. Most of the places we fish are nothing more than 20 minutes from here. That day just happened to be in Fredericksburg, so it's about 40 miles. Long, long days. On your feet and no bathroom breaks. We'll talk more about those. Exposure to sun. The sun can and will kill you. I met a guy two years ago in California. He had most of his uh, ear taken out because of skin cancer. Now, if you want to see something weird, look at a guy that looks like someone took a bite out of his ear besides Vander Holyfield. You're talking to the guy, but you're looking at his ear the whole time. You know, My father-in-law, he's Russian. He says, I'm Russian, old, old Russian man. I don't need sunscreen. I'll get cancer. Well, Yuri, he's had you know things burn off of him because he never wore sunscreen, and he's not out that often. I've been outside every summer since I was a kid. I went to day camp. I was outside all summer. And now we're a little more, you know, then we put some sunscreen on, but always very protective. My dad always made us wear lots of sunscreen. He used to wear gold Ray-Bans, and the sunlight would reflect off the rim up onto his face. And he had these things burned off of him in the 80s, you know, when, before melanoma was like a big thing. So my grandparents lived about 60 feet from the Atlantic Ocean. And I always remember just slathering on the sunscreen as a kid. And every time I smell copper tone, I always think of 
Grandma Ann and Grandpa Abe's condo down in Palm Beach right next to the ocean. That smell of copper tone always reminds me of there. And we go through a lot of sunscreen here. Thankfully, Dermatone is a sponsor of mine. They provide me with sunscreen. I don't have to worry about buying it, but if you're out in the sun enough, it's going to take its toll. Your skin is going to get leathery. There were guides I worked with in the Keys that had the sunglass tan that honestly looked like you know reverse raccoons where around their eyes was white and then the rest of them just looked like an old leather sofa and these guys were in their 30s. But now we've got the buffs and, and SPF shirts and pants, so it's a little easier now to protect yourself with not just the sunscreen. And when I'm out in the summer, only my fingertips and cheekbones are exposed. I'm wearing a buff, sungloves, long sleeves, long pants, cowboy hat and it doesn't matter if it's 102 or 75 i'm still covered up regardless because i'm out all the time even if i'm not guiding i'm still outside fishing by myself or with my daughter and just testing out flies and playing around with spots checking on things i'm outside all the time sun's a killer if you're an early morning person um you're going to be getting up drinking that coffee going to meet your clients we all know what coffee does to you, so just be prepared. You're going to have to deal with flies in the washer and dryer. Oftentimes, we cut flies off, and I stick them in my shirt pockets, my pant pockets. If I don't check the pockets of my clothes carefully, they're going to go through the wash, and then they're going to end up in the wash. So my wife gets very pissed off when she's doing my laundry, and I tell her not to, and there are flies all over the place. Other things to notice when you're guiding, stay hydrated, drink water, juice, Gatorade, iced tea, whatever you can, stay hydrated throughout the day. I sweat profusely when I'm out rowing a boat all day. When we're in the water waiting, wet waiting specifically, I'm not getting dehydrated because the water's cooling me off. It's keeping me from sweating. Once we're out of the water and fishing from shore or we're wearing waders in the summer, you know, it's like... A quart of water an hour, you're going to lose. And if you do that and you can't perform your job properly, it's going to reflect directly on you as a guide. So stay hydrated. Um, I've learned a long time ago, don't go drinking the night before you've got clients. It's just bad. Um, I'll I'll tell that story right now. Um, I don't know if I'm going to tell that later on. So maybe I've already told the story. I tell the one about the time that um, I was out drinking there was a wife and the neighbors and we went to Korean barbecue and we're just hammered. We come back and we watch kick-ass the movie. Great movie, by the way. And you know, we're drinking and it's such a good time. I lose sight of the time. Usually if I have a couple, I want to stop by like 8 PM and just hydrate. So I wake up at eight ten in the mornings before kids. And I look at my clock and I'm like, Holy crap. I've got clients 20 miles away in, 20 minutes. So I look down, there's shorts and a shirt on the ground. I pick them up. I run outside, putting my contacts in, get in the car and drive. Every red light on the way, I hit on Little River Turnpike. And I realize, you know what? I think I might still be drunk. If not, I've just got like the drunk eyes from last night where things are just not working. And I've got like, my mouth is like sand. I get there and it turns out it's like 95 degrees by 8 30 in the morning and we're out walking along a black asphalt sidewalk looking for fish on a lake i'm sure i had 
alcohol coming out of my pores, very unprofessional. I'm sure I smelled bad, and I looked completely disheveled, and I thought I was going to die. Luckily, it was only a two-hour trip, and afterwards I went and basically mainlined a Gatorade, an iced tea, and a Slurpee. But it, it was extremely unprofessional of me, and after that, I'd never really have more than a couple drinks um, at all the night before I'm guiding because I can't perform the next day to my best if my body is just not going to be working. So lesson learned from that one. I honestly thought I was going to drink the lake water. It was so bad. If you've got a boat, keep your boat cleaned. Every time I go out to my boat, I've got to take out the garbage that people throw in it when they drive by. Recently, I had Chinese food menus and beer cans, banana peels. There's all sorts of junk people throw in my boat. And then it's also, depending on where I park it, leaves are going to blow in it and black walnuts are going to fall in it. So you really got to you know, keep your boat maintained, keep your car clean if you're going to be transporting clients. Just be organized in every way you can. So car, if people are going in it, you don't want hooks and flies and empty cans and wrappers and bottles, which are things that I, I tend to do. Basically, the front passenger seat floor is my garbage can. So every time I eat Slim Jims and drink a Slurpee, all the refuse just goes down there. And then when I get to it on recycling day, I'll empty it out. But my car is pretty disgusting. And it also smells because there's always wet waders and boots in it from the Potomac, which has some stinky mud and water. So I've got a lot of air fresheners in there. I always have a can of air spray. And when it's nice and there's not going to be rain, I leave my windows cracked a little so the breeze goes through and can dry everything. So just be organized in everything you do. Every bullet point from here on out um, about your business, your website, your car, organization. Because if you're doing this solo, it all reflects back on you. Any mistake I make, it's my fault. So um, Then there's tipping. Is tipping uh, not just for cows? Is tipping not just a city in China? I don't expect to be tipped. It's always nice. I'm always very grateful when someone tips me, but... I don't get upset when I don't get tipped. It, it just happens that way. Some people are very generous with, generous with their tipping. Some people will say, um, hey, dude, I'll just mail you a check in the mail, or they'll just give you whatever cash they have on hand, and they're like, sorry, I didn't know I only had like $11. I'm like, I'm always amazed when I still get tipped, and I, I'm very grateful for that, but if someone walks off without tipping me, I'm not upset. Except for the guy who sun threw my net in the river and didn't offer to pay for that. He could have tipped me a little bit and replaced the $65, $75 net. As a guide, don't expect to make loads of money. You know, I'm not lighting my cigars with 20s. I'm not wearing anything new. I'm wearing $6 shorts I got from the thrift store. Granted, they were new with tags, but you know, I'm not rolling in money. It's not... Uh, you know, our, we don't use fives for baby wipes around here. I'm not some rich dude that's making a ton of money. I have a lot of expenses in my job, and I just spent $200 the other night on an order for hairline dubbing on flies. And basically, that's throwing away $200 because every fly we use is going to get damaged or lost. So in the long run, that's you're throwing money out. But, uh, you know, I don't go out and get the most expensive steak in the restaurant. I'm not going out and getting $50 bottles of wine. Um, my wife is the breadwinner. I get my health insurance through her. 
if I wasn't with her, I'd probably be living in a van down by the river, which would be awesome life because I've always wanted to do that. But I've got a roof over my head. I've got health insurance and the fridge is stocked and there's diapers for the kid. Even though she is almost potty trained, she's still got some diapers. It's a lifestyle choice. You're choosing not to be making 50, 60, 70 K a year salary, plus maybe a bonus. I never got a Christmas or holiday bonus in any of the corporate jobs I have. So I don't know what that's like, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's what you do. You, I'm happy, but I'm not filthy, stinking rich, wealthy. I'd love to be wealthy, but you know, everyone on this podcast interview says no one really makes a whole lot of money in the fly fishing industry. For those who do, congratulations is awesome. Uh, hopefully one day it'll happen to me, but you know, for now it's, uh, you know, money comes when it comes. If it's an email for custom flies or it's. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Somebody that wants to go on a guided trip. It's it's random, it's sporadic, and always uh, always love when it happens. As a guide, there's other things you need to take into consideration. Your personal appearance. You're either representing a fly shop or your own company. Think about what you look like. You want to have clean gear. Clean the corks on your rods. Clean your lines. Don't have you know mud and stuff on on the reels. You don't want to have sand in the reels. Keep things clean and organized. Your gear represents how you, as a guide, respect your tools. I already mentioned keep your boat clean, your car clean, your clothing. Don't show up with mustard stains and armpit stains on your, your stuff. Don't show up with ketchup on your pants and uh, you know cigar holes burnt through your shirt. Don't show up in a wife beater that's torn. You need to show up in clean clothing, clean, clean clothing. I'm not saying go and get your SPF casting shirts starched at the dry cleaners, but make sure you don't have blood stains on them, food stains. Make sure there's not baby barf. Anything that's going to get on your clothes, make sure it's off. I always feel bad if I got morning clients and afternoon clients. And, you know, if I don't bring a change of clothes, I try to wash it out with river water if I get something on me. Carry extra clothes with you. Because you are representing your company. What's your breath like? Is it coffee breath? Is it cigarette breath? Is it garlic breath? What does your breath smell like? Well, it should smell like Altoids. Keep something on you. You don't want to be talking and be like, Hey, how's it going? We're going to go catch some fish today. You don't want to be stinking like the garlic black bean burger you just got at the gas station or your burritos or... I always hated my teachers that would come and lean over me with that coffee breath. And same when I worked in at the consulting firm. And everyone there just had this stale coffee breath. I'm just like, oh. So, you know, you don't want to be stinking. You don't want to have food in your teeth either. Don't be eating a pesto sandwich before your clients show up. Clean your nails. Cut them. The benefit for me of using a nail clipper to cut my mono, I've always got a nail clipper when I'm on the water. So if I get schmutz and stuff under my fingernails, 
You know, I keep them pretty short, but you can always trim them down, make them clean. Have a nail brush in your shower and tub for when you get home from your client trip to clean them for the next morning when you go out. You don't want to be a total schlub when you meet your clients. What is your hair going to look like? I keep mine pretty short. Even if I wake out of, up out of bed and just go, it, it's short. It looks fine. But when I grow out the, the big hair, you know, later in the season, I try to always wear a hat or keep some brill cream in there so it's manageable. I don't want to look like, and I, I am kind of a bum, but I don't want to look like the guys I worked with at Breckenridge Outfitters. When I worked at Breckenridge Outfitters, I was more presentable for a guy that lived in his car than the guys I worked with that had houses and showers, if that makes sense. These guys, I mean, there were guys at the shop that, you know, a wife would come in while her husband was out doing something with her kids. And she'd be like, I want to book a fly fishing trip for my husband for tomorrow for all day. And you have a guy that's got like barbecue sauce on his shirt where he wiped his hands. He's sitting there chewing Kodiak and spitting it into a Gatorade bottle that hasn't been emptied in like three weeks. So it's got like four inches of chaw juice. And when you're talking to someone that wants to book a trip, that's not what you want to look like when you're in a fly shop or someone that's going to take somebody out. That woman was so disgusted when he was spitting in that. You know, if you want to chew, smoke, I, I smoke cigars, fine, whatever. But there are certain things you don't want to do in front of certain people that may piss them off. You know, we had people that would call the fly shop in Tyson's Corner and complain about or, uh, employee facial hair. Weird. You never know who's out there, so just, just be on the lookout. Your presence reflects on the company you work for and you. So be clean, be neat, be organized, and cut those toenails too. If you're wearing flip-flops all year like me, uh, your toenails, you know, my feet are out exposed all summer. They can get kind of gnarly. Also, pumice brush, get pumice stone, get one of those. All right, next uh, speaking topic is small business owner life. You know, I started a small business. I read a lot of books from the library. And they all said, small business owners, it's a 24-7 lifestyle, and I have to agree with them. This podcast was written out at about 11.30 one night with a Sharpie and uh, in the moonlight by the window on the floor of the bedroom. I just got an idea for this because one of my first clients, probably my first client, is branching out to become a guide. And I was like, well, he needs to know some stuff. What about other people that want to become a guide? So I was like sitting down writing stuff based on information I've learned from working in four fly shops and doing this myself. There are late nights. You might be answering emails all night long. You might be tying flies, packing gear, cleaning your car, getting home. Late nights, I'm I'm always on. You know, it might be 10:30 and I'm still on my phone checking the tides, checking the weather. Um, seeing who hit the website, how many people listen to the podcast, if anything's purchased. It's always a 24-7 lifestyle. I have no free weekends. Saturday and Sundays are my busy day during most of the year, so I, I'm not here on the weekends. I get to hang out with the wife and the kid when I come home or before work, but other than that, don't really get to enjoy a nice Saturday lunch with the wife out in Arlington anymore. Having smartphones these days makes you 24-7. When a tweet goes off, Facebook, email, weather alert, you got to pick up the phone. 
I'm always on my phone, unfortunately. So that's part of the way life is now that I'm so connected to my phone, but that's how I run my business. It's basically through my phone. It's my emails, my spreadsheets, my cameras, my social media, my contact, and, and fishing podcasts. Everything's on that damn phone. My spouse, my wife, does not always care for the lifestyle. You know, I'm sitting at the computer right now. I've got a pheasant tail nymph, a worm, digital cameras, business cards, Sharpies. There's just junk everywhere. There's sheets of foam. There's patches for a pair of Carhartts. There's a TU sticker. There's a phone charger. I got a green rubber leg sitting right here. It follows me wherever I go. There's always fishing gear in her car, which she hates. Uh, Fishing magazines all over the house, fishing TV shows. Uh, basically, it's it's twenty four seven of me. She's like, put that phone down, and then hey, you know, I, what are we doing on Saturday? I've got to cancel if we have any parties. I just got clients. It's a lot of moving stuff around, and it's a lot of work. And she she likes when I come home with a wad of cash. So she, you know, th- then she doesn't complain. Or if I get discounts on clothing or something, and or I get some sunglasses and she wants to borrow them, then she's all like, ooh, your job is so cool. And it also helps uh, when she can take a day off, you know, and, and let me just go out and fish for the day, have the day off. Or, you know, since I'm stay-at-home dad with the kid, she'll take a day off just so I can go with two clients out on the river. It's It's very difficult being 24 seven on when you're married to somebody, she's always like, I tolerate the fishing, but you know, she doesn't go to events with me. She doesn't go fishing with me. I don't really think she likes fish. She'll eat them, but she tolerates it is what she says. My car is designated for work. So all the mileage is written off. There's all sorts of flies and gear in there, wet boots, waders, flies stuck in the upholstery. You know, there's fish stickers on the car it's gross. Small business owner, when you work mostly out of your car, it's going to be nasty. And then there's out-of-pocket expenses. A lot of things I buy are business-related. Anytime I go to Costco and get provisions, it's a business expense. This microphone's a business expense. This Coke I'm drinking right here, business expense. Basically, anything that's paid for that goes into this office, like when this window here, this one right here, when I got broken with the golf ball last year, that's a business expense. This is my office. There's, I don't know, 18 square feet of whatever happens in here, I can write off because it's my, you know, there's a kegerator back behind me too. So Uncle Sam, that counts if I got beer. And we'll talk about that next. So making it legit. When I worked at the consulting firm prior to guiding full-time, I was in financial management, so I now know how to run my books and a lot of the small business things based on that previous employment. All right, so making it legit. What's your business plan? Do you have a business plan? CPR certification, mine expires on June 16th, so that is about two weeks away. I have standard first aid and AED operation for adults. It's good to be CPR and first aid certified because, well, hey, my insurance company, and you got to have insurance, won't cover you if you're not CPR certified. And also has to do with some other companies I work with. 
your expenses, you got to keep track of everything. So I have receipts, receipts for everything, every expense. And I put all these dang receipts right next to me on my left. This one's for Pedro and Vinny's because I got a burrito on the way to meet a client one day. This one is for sheets because I got a sandwich on the way to an event. And they're just piles and piles of everything. So every eBay purchase, Fly Shop, Orvis, Urban Angler, uh, craft store, grocery store, Costco, car expenses, everything gets saved up and goes into QuickBooks, which is my accounting system. Okay, let's talk about federal permits. You cannot make profit off of national parks without a commercial use authorization. I didn't know what a commercial use authorization was or any of that, in fact, until a client of mine inquired about having one for the Sino Canal. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, you need to have a permit to be able to make a profit off the national parks. So it turns out you do have to have something called a commercial use authorization. And to be a guide, it's quite a lot of paperwork. I only have one for the George Washington Memorial Parkway, which is a national park stretching from Mount Vernon up to about Great Falls, Virginia, on the Virginia shoreline, which covers Virginia and D.C. waters. I'm the only guide that has this permit. There's no captain that's allowed to pick up clients anywhere within there. There's no one else that's allowed to make money as a fishing guide or operator except for me. And that entails a $250 annual fee plus deductibles through my insurance, plus CPR certification, plus plans on what I will do within the park. And then there's just a whole lot of red tape. They want to know throughout the year how many people I've taken out, where do I go, where do I access, making sure I'm not cutting down trees, making sure I'm not using my boat because I don't have a captain's license and I can't put a canoe in on a pond right off of the GW Parkway unless I have my captain's license. It's a lot of red tape. We already learned from Brian Kelly at Kelly's Whitefly at Harper's Ferry that he pays like five or six hundred dollars a year for the Harper's Ferry National Park and then several other hundred dollars for other permits. The permit for the other side of the river, which is Georgetown to Hancock, Maryland, is three hundred and fifty dollars a year. That would be anywhere crossing the Sino Canal, so the entire shoreline. There's not a single person that has those, so if a person offers to take you out along there, don't do it because Even if someone's offering to do a casting lesson, if they're making any money off of fishing within that national park, which is the river to the canal, and you get hurt and say an ambulance has to come or the police, anything happens, that person will be held liable because this is America and there's liability with everything. You are going to get in trouble. They will get sued and they will lose everything. I grew up in Reston, Virginia, and I've been taking people there fishing since I was a kid, but I have to pay Reston money in order to guide there. Every client has to fill out a liability form for working, for me to work and guide them in Reston. There are limits to the size of my boat. There are limits to about everything. It's a lot of red tape becoming a guide. I've got to fill out the paperwork and get it back to them about the monetary costs. I've got to fill out the insurance information. So federal and local permits, even if I wanted to guide at Riverbend Park, which is a Fairfax County area, they want money. Everybody basically has their hand in your till and then wants to make sure that they're not going to get sued or be held liable if something happens.
when you go through a fly shop, fly shop covers that. If you're an independent guide like me, you've got to do it all yourself. And for me, it's a learning process. I didn't know any of this. And the whole reason that Reston kind of got involved was Reston Patch did an article about me, and then the Reston Association saw that. I didn't know that I wasn't allowed to make money off of them. You know, you could always play, uh, I didn't know, but then you should call ahead to find out these things. Well, I kind of skirted that issue. But I found out, and now I have a relationship with the Reston Association, and it's all good. And I'll be teaching a father and son's fishing class on June 15th for Father's Day, which is pretty cool. And I'm also going to be teaching fishing at Reston Association Day Camp, which is where I went growing up, which is a huge part of who I am now. I owe that to RA, and I'm going to be helping teach the kids how to fish there. Fishing license, you need a fishing license for where you fish. I fish Virginia and guide in Virginia, so I have a Virginia freshwater license. I also guide on the D.C.'s owned section of the Potomac River, which is between Little Falls and Woodrow Woodrow Wilson Bridge. So that's anywhere from Gravelly Point to Roosevelt Island to Chain Bridge and that park that slips my mind that's under the Wilson Bridge. So I have to have a DC fishing license and my clients also have to have these licenses. When my clients want to decide on how much they want to spend for the day, you know, a DC license is six bucks for the day. The cheapest Virginia license is $21. So they're going to opt usually to go for somewhere that they can spend less money. Now it's my, not my job to check them for a license that I do not check my clients for license. I got enough to worry about. That's just one thing that I don't worry about. That's their problem. There's some shops that will give you licenses or charter boats where it's included. For me, I don't do that. I've got enough things to worry about. I already mentioned insurance. I work through an insurance company. I pay several hundred dollars a year. I've got to call them today to speak with them about dealing with my RA permits. That's the next paperwork I'm dealing with right now. Insurance, you can go through several companies. There's American Fly Fishing Trade Association. I go through Philadelphia Outdoor Insurance Company through Colorado. It's always fun calling them and talking to someone out in Denver because I miss Colorado. I need to make sure that in this day and age, if somebody gets hurt or injured, I'm not going to lose everything I own because of our nature in the United States of suing everybody for you know, a hook in the finger or slipping and getting injured. That's what we have to deal with as a small business owner in a job where there are hooks and animals with teeth and slippery rocks and boats and life jackets. It's liability. Now, you've got to make it legit, like I said. So you got to have uh, establish yourself as a corporation. I have an LLC, Limited Liability Corporation, established in the Commonwealth of Virginia. It's like 25 bucks a year. It's nothing huge. It was very simple to do online, quick, easy, very, very simple. I also have a tax ID, which is required for some of the shops. Some of the fly time materials I buy, some of the stores I go to, they will cut you a break with their tax ID. A lot of companies want to make sure you're a legit business before doing business with them. So you have to have your tax ID. That also helps me establish my own line of checking and my credit cards for my small business. Tax ID maybe took three minutes to do online. It was so easy. In fact, I was at the bank down the street trying to get a checking account. And they're like, well, what's your tax ID? She's like, oh, you don't have one. Just go online and do it. I was, By the time I drove back here and got back there, it was maybe six minutes 
tops. So it's very simple to get a tax ID. Also, I belong to Restaurant Depot, which is a restaurant supply company for small businesses. So I can go in there and honestly, you can buy an entire pig or sheep there. I'm actually going to be buying a gallon of potato salad. I'm not potato salad, macaroni salad, because I'm going to Luau this weekend and Mac salad is very Hawaiian. You can go in there and buy sandwiches for your clients. Like you can get the meat, the lettuce, the cheese, everything to build the sandwiches. Also, it's where I can also buy Cokes and other things to keep me fed and hydrated throughout my job. It's what I do. I always have a big turkey sandwich for lunch here and try to have a Coke and I catch up on Duck Dynasty or uh, Storage Wars when I have my lunch at home. That's how I relax during the day when my kid's taking a nap. She's not napping right now, so it's driving me crazy. I can hear her in the background. Also, having a kid and being a fishing guide is very difficult because of fish hooks and other things. I had to take all the rods down from the rod rack because she gets into them. I have to have the fly tying material all put away. It's always nervous for me that she's going to get a hook. I've had to pull Griffith gnats out of my dog's beard before. Uh, she loves all the synthetic stuff I tie with. She loves thingamabobbers. Got to make sure she doesn't swallow one of those. Just It's, it's never ending being a, a parent and then a parent that deals with sharp and expensive objects all day. So back to making it legit. Do you have a state guide license? For the Commonwealth of Virginia, you don't need one. When I called the Commonwealth of Virginia, she was very confused as to why I was asking if I needed a guiding license. I was like, well, other states require them. She's like, no, unless you're going out of the ocean and keeping marlin, then you need a, a permit. But other than that, Commonwealth of Virginia doesn't need one. And when you want to contact companies for discounts and relationships, they're going to want to see a copy of your state guide license. You just have to tell them, I live in the Commonwealth of Virginia. There is no requirement for fly fishing or commercial or uh conventional tackle fishing guides to have licenses and it's very easy for me to skirt around that because it's not a non-issue but other states like new york you have to have a guide license number uh, joe advertises that it's on his website like guide license 1587 or whatever he's got a pin other states and commonwealths are a little more serious about that here it's kind of like do what you want and then i already mentioned i have Quicken, uh, QuickBooks, I'm sorry. So I went out and bought QuickBooks. It was like $100, but that lets me keep track of all of my expenses, all of my income. It lets me do reports on profit and loss, detail. It allows me to print out everything for taxes in April. It's simple to use. I don't really have a full-on chart of accounts set up. So fly tines, not 01, beer, 02, clothing, 03, car, 04, and then you know, like wiper blades would be zero three, so it'd be like oh four zero three would be the account for. I'm not that big of a company. I don't have that many expenses. It's basically supplies, meals and entertainment, guiding fee, guiding deposit, custom flies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Very simple, but it's easy for me to keep track. And when I worked at that consulting firm, I basically dealt with chart of accounts all day and people doing their accounting. So I'm kind of familiar with the software already. So I was very comfortable jumping into that. All right, let's talk about marketing. E-commerce is huge in this day and age. If you want to fly fish with me, hopefully you type in like fly fishing Virginia, fly fishing Potomac, fly fishing Washington, D.C., fly fishing Northern Virginia. That's going to come up first in Google. 
Now, when I started off, I had a very small client base. So we ran a Groupon. I sold 1,353 two-hour guided trips in a 48-hour time period. What that entailed was booking 1,300 people. It meant 1,300 times two hours on the water. So basically, from March until Labor Day weekend, it was seven days a week from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., doing two hours, so 8 to 10, 10 to 12, 12 to 2, 2 to 4, 4 to 6, clients in a row with no bathroom breaks, no lunch, being out in the sun. It was 100 degrees all summer. So it was a great way to book clients, but it took its toll physically on me. There was one day where I had clients that bought a Groupon. They lived in New Jersey. They drove down here and got a hotel room, and we were going to go out on a boat on Burke Lake. Well, the day before, we were out on Burke Lake on the boat, and it was extremely windy out. And I don't have a trolling motor, so I rode for 10 hours in the wind, and the next day I could barely get out of bed. There was no way I was going to be able to lift the trailer and get it onto the car. So I got there. I apologized to them, and we fished off the pier. We caught a couple fish. It wasn't a great day, but we we got it done. They still seemed a little you know, disappointed that we didn't go on the boat. I apologized to them. They wanted some T-shirts, so I brought my company T-shirts with them. And then later, uh, quoted them a price on it. I never heard back from them. So basically, they took my T-shirts for free. But um, that was probably one of those days with Groupon where you know I was just overwhelmed selling that many. But it's a great way to market yourself, have someone else do it for you, and get a good client base. Just be prepared for every other daily deal company calling you. Weekly, I get a call from some random company. You've already realized that. These companies have already outdone themselves. They've already exhausted their resources themselves. There's not much left these companies can do, and I don't want to do another one. Even if it means selling 10, 20, or 30 daily deals, I'd rather have fewer numbers of clients at full price than a full load of clients at a quarter of the price, if that makes sense. Sponsorships, it's great to be professionally affiliated with other companies to help minimize your costs. You will get discounts, professional discounts with companies. You have to seek them out, though. They're not going to be coming to you. There are companies that I've reached out to that have been rude, obnoxious, um, curt with me, and my customers will never hear their names being mentioned. So if you're not nice to me, I'm going to hold a grudge against you. There are rod companies. There are fly shops. There are manufacturers that I will never even whisper their name to my clients. And and I think that's kind of big that my clients are looking for me to endorse companies. And I'm not going to endorse somebody if they're not going to help. I'm not even saying they're going to give me a discount. It's the way they treated me before we even got to the discount. Some people are like, oh, thank you for contacting us. Unfortunately, your business is too small or we don't do this sort of thing. It's like, hey, thanks so much. I'm going to continue buying your product. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your day to speak with me. But if I leave voicemails and you never even bother to get back to me or you give me the cold shoulder and put me on hold and saying you're going to get someone you never do, Forget you, man. You're not going to be part of my business. So that's also um, SEO, search engine optimization. I went to school for web development 14 years ago. I still have some web dev skills. And through my work and producer Jason's, we've done a, a 
pretty awesome job at SEO, getting some top ranks. We're rated a three out of ten on Google. Um, a lot of that has to do with site links, with you know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours, being mentioned on the website. Just you got to look through SEO. You can pay somebody to do it for you, which basically means you're paying somebody to get your website higher on a Google page. Most people don't look past the third page when they do a Google search. So you got to be up there. And I will put keywords in the website, alt text for images, for searching. The biggest blog hit I get is for Rocket Popsicles because people are looking up popsicles. Or the one I did about cellular respiration and fly fishing, one of the earliest podcasts. I get more hits about cellular respiration than almost anything. And that's part of the – and hopefully someone's going to see that and be like, oh, I was in D.C. I didn't know you could fly fish there. Maybe I'll call this guy up next time. So that you know goes into web developer. Are you doing it yourself? Are you paying someone else to do it for you? Jason is really helped me out to make the new website um, – what's the word? Self-sufficient that I can do it myself. Do I still have to be like, dude, I don't understand this part in WordPress. Can you make a new page for me for – Frequently asked questions. I don't know how to do that. Or can you do this with images? But I'm getting there. Before, I had to do it all myself. And and it was a decent website. But it looks much more professional now that Jason is involved. And if you want him to help you with the website, you know where to contact him. He'll talk at the end of this podcast, as he always does. So social media as part of your web. Are you on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest? Which I'm on Pinterest. I don't understand it. You want to get your name out there so people know you're out there where you are, that you're catching fish, that you're having a good time. Just get your information out there. Uh, greatest sound in the world is getting a new Twitter follower. I love it. It's like, bing, and I'm like, dude, I got another one. It makes me feel happy. So at Rob Snow White, make me happy today. And then you know YouTube, whatever it's going to take for you to get higher ranks in Google searches or Bing or Yahoo. Whatever engine you're building your site around, you want to be the top dog. Are you going to pay for, you know, it's not, it's part of my policy as a small business owner. I'm not paying for advertising. I don't pay for advertising on Facebook. So you're not going to say, you know, fly fishing consultant like this brought to you and paying $10 a day for it. I'm not doing that. I spend enough money every year hosting iTunes and the websites and paying for business cards and shaking hands and getting the stomach flu with people that I'm not paying for advertising. If you want to do that and be on the top and sidebar on Google, more for you, but it's just not part of my policy. It's not part of my budget, so I don't pay for that. Speaking of budget, how much are you going to you know, let out for your company? When I get the bills in the mail, my wife's like, you spent how much where? I'm like, you know, we needed that. That's, you know, new brakes for the car or something. It's all related, and hopefully you're going to be – bringing in more than you're spending. You don't want to be in the red. You have to budget yourself. Be like, ooh, do I really need that new $900 rod and that $80 fly line? No, you really don't need most of that unless you're, I don't know. I mean, if you want to use the high-end gear, go for it. But mostly my clients using $200 to $400 rods. We're using inexpensive lines. And we're doing it all on a budget so I can make more money in the end. Mama always needs a new handbag. You know what I'm saying? Right, what about your connections in industry? Are you going to fishing shows like the Fly Fishing Show, Lancaster, Raleigh, Denver, is it Pasadena, Somerset, New Jersey? Are you going there? Are you passing out cards? Are you making friends with guides, outfitters, fly shops, authors? 
who you know in the industry that you can call up or you know you want to be able to have friends in Michigan that have a buddy that are coming to DC and they can say oh I can totally endorse this guy I met I met him at the fly fishing show let me get you his information or be able to say hey my clients uh, going to Michigan I met this guy who runs a, a fly shop on the Upper Peninsula, why don't you give him a call? I completely trust him, and he'll set you up with what you need for your vacation up there. That's a lot of who you know. Scratch my back, I scratch yours. What about networking events? We've got the beer ties. We've got film tour nights. We've got uh, environmental movies that come to town. You know, D.C. is a lot about handshaking. Everyone has their business cards. Everyone keeps their stupid ID badges on them when they go out at night. Everyone wants to, you to know who they work for and the first two things anyone in D.C. asks are, where'd you go to school and what do you do? Mary Washington, fly fishing guide. Uh, when Callie Gallup did the talk, he, he said recently, and we started his presentation, how do you know someone's a fly fishing guide? They'll tell you when you walk into the room. Well, I'm kind of, I don't always say that. I'm just like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a teacher. I, I teach people how to fly fish locally and and they're like, oh, that sounds like the coolest job in the world. I'm like, yeah, it is pretty cool, but you know, it's twenty percent of it's actually on the water. The rest is hard work. Are you going to be on message boards? I don't have time during the day to be on all the message boards. Frankly, I think a lot of those people are sitting behind their desks. They're internet tough guys, or they just don't know what they're talking about. Unfortunately, or they talk too much. When you say, hey, I caught a, a sixteen-inch brown on a Japanese beetle, and somebody replies with literally two pages of commentary and questions, I don't have time for that, man, honestly. I go there to find out about gear, product testing, what's new. I'll troll some message boards, but honestly, I don't really, I don't contribute much anymore. Um, the local message board here is non-commercial, so I'll talk about when I go out myself, but I don't ever type in what happened with my clients that day. Can't even have my website link in my signature when I'm on that forum. Eventually, it's going to become commercial, but as of now, it's not so there. Also, uh, LinkedIn. Are you on LinkedIn Message? Uh, there's the warm water. There's fly anglers in business. There's fly shop owners. There's guides. There's a fly tire subgroup. Also, are you connected to anybody? Um, it's a good way just for people to know you're out there and know what you're doing and and to stay connected within the industry. Do you have professional associations? Are you a member of Trout Unlimited? Do you go to Trout Unlimited meetings? Do you speak at Trout Unlimited meetings? Are you a member of the American Fly Fishing Trade Association? Do you get the newsletters? Do you go to after events? Are you a member of the Fly Fishing Federation of Fly Fishers? Do you get the annual magazine? Do you go to FFF events? Are you a member of your local chapter for us, Tidal Potomac Fly Rodders? I try to go to all the events. It helps me book clients. Also, part of my job is an education. So every month, I volunteer to teach fly tying. Most of the material comes out of my closet, out of my budget. So it's always nice when somebody at one of those events wants to book me or maybe buy something off of me to help cut the cost. Last time we used all my feathers, marabou, chenille, flash, hooks, beads, cones. All that material came out of my pocket. So it's always good when those networking events can get me some uh, generated revenue. And also, International Fly Tackle Dealer Show, IFTD. My wife and I are going out to Vegas. I really have no interest in Vegas, but my wife says there's an In-N-Out burger there. The food's awesome, and there's a lot of um, people watching. And that's where the 
show is this summer. So we're going out in July and the kid and the dog are going to go see with my parents. And that's going to be my first, I guess, vacation in, I, I couldn't tell the last time I had a vacation. Maybe that trip to LA was the last time I actually had fun, you know, you can say going up steelhead fishing's vacation, but for me, that's work. That's getting up at the butt crack of dawn, fishing till dusk, tying flies all night, having blistered, cut up hands. And every time I get a hand on a trip, a cut on my hand, they always get infected. I don't have the best immune system. You realize that because I'm sick all the time. You hear about the explosive diarrhea and Colorado and all that. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's not really like a vacation. I need to go either somewhere where there's no water, like the desert, or to like Antarctica to just sit back and read and relax. Cause if I go somewhere where there's fishing, it turns into work for me. What are you going to charge? Um, are you gonna be competitive? Are you going to undercut the competition? Are you going to charge more? You know, the new guy in town is charging the same, same amount as I am. In fact, he, you know, it's fine with me. The internet's the internet, but he, he took literally the bullet points from my website that say what I charge and put it on his website. That's fine. But I mean, what are you going to charge? Uh, are you going to undercut the competition? Like I said, if there's other fly shops in town, other guides. Right now, I really don't have competition. They're weekend people. I'm the only person that is available seven days a week, sun up to sundown, to take you fly fishing in the D.C. metro area. Are you going to offer military discounts? Are you going to match other guides? So if one guy does a certain price, are you going to – not necessarily in your town, but if they've been out somewhere else in the country – you know, you charge a little bit more in D.C. because the cost of living is so expensive here. I had some guys from Kentucky come into town, and they couldn't believe what I was charging. And then they stayed here for a couple of days. They're like, okay, you know, beer's more expensive, food's more expensive. You paid what for a house? And when we paid for this two-bedroom condo, they said I could have gotten a five-bedroom, three-car garage house where they live. Well, the price of living here is much more expensive because it's D.C. I need to charge more to compensate for my expenses that gas is expensive here and car maintenance is expensive here and you're paying more at fly shops and grocery stores are more expensive here everything costs more in dc if you don't believe me come out here and and just you know when i and and buy a six pack of beer it's going to be more expensive here than anywhere else it's like hawaii prices almost you're going to give discounts for kids so on saturday not this saturday Next Saturday, June 8th, I'm taking a bunch of Girl Scouts out. So I'm doing $20 per client per hour. I normally do 40 The deal is we're exchanging flies for Girl Scout cookies at the end. So it's a little bit, you know, I'm getting some Girl Scout cookies in July or June, and um, and they're going to be fishing. Now, the problem with kids is they're going to break all your stuff. They've got bad timing, and they put too much muscle into it, muscle. But when they get it, they get it, and kids are usually the fastest learners. My kid had, uh, you know, like practice fishing day at Jimboree class last week. And I'll, I'll put this on YouTube where they had these little plastic sticks and like a handkerchief on the end to cast. And she was back and forward casting and all the other kids were sitting there poking each other and put them in their noses and scratching their butts and stuff. And Kiersey was actually casting a rod because she sees me doing it. My clients, she knows what to do. Are you going to give group discounts? I do like 20% off for five or more people because when I have that many people, it's a little harder to keep track of everybody, and I'm just not going to be able to give everyone the one-on-one attention that I want to. I don't like groups. I don't like more than four, per se. Three or four, it's doable, but it's more stress on me because I can't give everyone that one-on-one attention. 
All right, scheduling. How are you doing it? Online? If you go to my website, it says sign up here. You fill out a form. I get an email. You can also just do it right through my website, which Jason helped out on. That's how I schedule. It gives me a spreadsheet. I can go through the spreadsheet, and I have the person's name, first and last, their email, their phone number, where they live, what they want to fish for, what do they want to learn, what are they expecting to get out of a guided trip, have they ever been with a guided trip before do they have any food allergies any physical limitations like getting in and out of a boat allergic to bees allergic to to uh salami they don't eat pork who knows i want to know as much about my client as possible i want to know what rod they have what reel if it needs help if they need flies you always want to upsell hey do you want to buy a dozen flies while we're at it on the trip and that way i can email them or call them back and that took me several months to figure out exactly how I wanted to do my online setup because when I did Groupon, I was getting phone calls every five minutes and it was stressing me out. So I did specifically online only. I love getting that phone call out of the dark, but I have no way to get back to you if you have an extension and it doesn't pop up on your phone. If I have your email, phone, all that, I can track you down. I can have this spreadsheet on my phone so I can track you down if you're late. I can have your number. And then I put all of that information into Google Calendar under that person's name and the date and time they're going out. So I have their name, their number, what they want, what they don't want out of the trip. I know that they're going bone fishing. They just got back from the Caribbean. If they just got back from the Texas Hill Country, as much as I know. And then that also helps with conversations. I can be like, oh, so your phone number's from uh, Puerto Rico. Where in Puerto Rico is, is your phone from? Are you from Puerto Rico? What are you doing here? And that gets you know the conversation going. Are you going to pay to have someone schedule for you? You know, when you work in a fly shop, the person answering the phone does it all for you. If you're just the guy that shows up with the boat in tow in the parking lot every day, you don't have to do the booking. There is software you can use. It's um, a concierge software. It's something I'm not going to do. When I was at the Orvis Guide Rendezvous, it was mentioned by some of the outfitters and lodges in Pennsylvania that are a little bit bigger than me. I mean, frankly, anybody's bigger than me. It's basically myself running this whole operation. Those are things to, to deal with as starting off. How are you going to get all that information to you so you can schedule? And I do it all electronically. I don't do anything on paper. All right. As a guide, you got to know, this is the 20% now on the water. Where will the fish be? Why are they there? What are they going to be eating? You should know the history of the location so you can tell them. You know, When we're fishing Roaches Run, I tell them the whole history about the Roaches Run area or Gravelly Point. When I'm out in Reston... I can tell, ask you, hey, have you ever seen Donnie Darko the movie? You know Frank the bunny? He's in the bunny suit the whole time? Well, that's a legend that started on the other lake across the street about the bunny man who hacked his family up in 1947, supposedly in a bunny suit. And then I can tell him all about how he grew up in Reston with the legend of the bunny man. Go, go Google it if you don't trust me, if you don't believe me. You should know the locations about all the places you're fishing, You know the, the different iterations of the chain bridge. You heard my podcast about the tidal basin. When I fished there, I knew loads of that, you know, to tell stories about this and that and keep them entertained. And these are places that people want to come back to and maybe tell their family, oh yeah, there did you believe there was a nudist colony on this lake in nineteen, you know, forty three? This town was basically just it was the drunken town of Wheelie back in the day. So you want to be able to know the history and tell people about it to keep them entertained. If the fish aren't biting and they're just casting beaten flies on the water they're going to lose interest very fast, so keep them entertained. You don't know the annual periodicity about where you're fishing, the annual floods that come through, the freshets in the spring. 
you want to know um, the species of fish in there at that time of the year, that time of the day, the migrations of the fish, what they feed on, the annual hatches, basically everything intertwined to what the fish are going to be eating and be able to explain that to your clients and explain to them why you're taking the fly you're using out of your box and putting it on. You should know about the wildlife, not just the fish, but you should be able to tell them about the different bird species around you. You You're going to be a naturalist, and that helps me coming from a naturalist background with a biology degree and growing up in Reston and being outside all the time. You know, I've had clients, Gene, he told me what a killdeer was. I I knew what the bird was. I didn't know it had a name. I had a client, uh, Victor, the other day. He's the guy who always catches stripers, and he's giving me herpetology lessons. And it was fantastic to learn something else from a client. That usually doesn't happen because uh, most people aren't interested in nature like these guys are. It was it was awesome, you know, listening to Victor talk about you know, fish species that I normally don't know about. You should know um, the structure, where the fish are going to be, rocks, tree branches. You should be able to point to a spot and tell them why there's a fish in there and see if they can catch it. You need to know the currents, the tides. You need to know the hatches throughout the year, the time of day, what they're going to be based on the weather, the light, the wind, the time of day, the moon phases. You need to know the wind directions. When I'm fishing with clients, I'm constantly looking up, watching the leaves, watching the water, watching the trees, watching the bird life, watching the currents. All these things are going to interact into the fishing quality. You need to be a weatherman. You need to know everything about dew points. You should know about Doppler. You should be able to read radar. I'm on the phone more often checking tide charts, hydrologic flood predictions, advanced hydrologic flows, and I'm also checking um, just Doppler because those things are going to affect tomorrow's fishing, this afternoon's fishing, a week out's fishing. I'm checking the weather so often that I can, you know, hopefully call a client and be like, we got to cancel. There's a storm coming. Last night we had a 30% chance of storms, but I was looking at the clouds building. I'm like, you know what? They're turning into anvil shaped clouds. That means thunderstorms are on the way. I stayed home from fishing the tidal basin. You know what? There was a major storm event with crazy lightning last night where we got over an inch of rain in like 40 minutes. And the lightning was crazy. You don't want to be out with clients when you got a lightning stick in your hand. You can be hit by lightning 10 miles. From, away from a storm. So you got to pay attention to those things. It's not just the fishing conditions, but it's what's around you. You got to pay attention to, you know, they say, you know, wind from the east, fish bite the least. There's a lot of non static things that go on in the environment that are going to affect the fishing conditions. And you need to be aware of almost each and every one of those and be on top of them. Be like, you know what? The tide's changing. We're not getting anything in here. We got to move to a different spot. We got to change flies. Water levels are rising. We got to go here, this, that. All these things that you've learned throughout your fly fishing career, you need to be able to convey to them at that time so they don't come back there and make the mistake of staying there when they should be leaving to go somewhere else. So that's knowing the water, what's going on in there, around there, all the different bait fish species, being able to identify them. You should be able to you know, talk about the, the geology, what kind of rocks are in there, the flora, the fauna, everything. You know, I point out so much stuff on four-mile run because 2% of what's there is native, including the fish. So it's it's interesting to be able to point out all the crazy things that go on there. Every day I'm out, I learn something different that will change the variables for the next trip when I talk. So um, like I said, I can talk forever. So 
knowing the water, read books on it, just be out. The more you're out on the water where you guide, the better you're going to know all this information. So if you don't have clients, get out there and fish it as much as possible. All right, frustrations. Let's talk about things that make it frustrating to be a guide. Everyone's like, you got to have a lot of patience, and that's true. When I'm not fishing, I'm very impatient. I hate traffic. I hate when a shoelace breaks. Little things piss me off, but you can't do that when you're fishing and your income depends on it. So things that suck when you're fly fishing as a guide is having explosive diarrhea. That just That's awful. Hope that doesn't happen again. Clients not listening, so when you say don't use your wrist and then they use their wrist and then they're complaining that their hand hurts and they're tired and they want to go home. People that keep casting into the trees. The one thing that really frustrates me as a guide is when we're on the boat, somebody hooks the tree and it's really windy and the boat gets blown into shore and we're in the branches and the rods are getting bent and things are just going chaotically. And then you paddle out, you get everything rigged up, all the knots loose, tied new fly back on. And the next cast, they do it again. And then like three or four times later, and you're like, you're thinking to yourself, oh my God, I just want to throw this person in the water and go home. But you can't because you got a job to do and you love your job. That's why you became a fly fishing guide. And the little things can't get to you. Other things that piss me off, government fees, all that red tape, uh, cease and desist letters. You can't believe how pissed off I am that I cannot put my boat in a gravelly point in a side channel. That's not even the Potomac River. Because I don't have a captain's license or the fact that I can't put my canoe or kayak into Roach's run with clients because I'm not a captain. It's a tidal pond. Or the fact that I was out all summer on my boat last year and I wrote down all the hours for the Coast Guard and they considered it eight hours of boat service when it was easily like 150 hours. So that's one reason why I'm not getting my captain's license. I just don't feasibly have time to be out enough in my boat to get it. Don't ever tell your clients about yesterday or last week's fish or when you were out the night before. They don't want to hear what other people are catching. They can go on your website and see the pictures of people catching fish. And you should, you know, when you get home from your day, you've got to go upload everything. You've got to email all the fish pictures to your clients. And that's a way to keep in touch with them is sending them the pictures, telling them, hey, you're on the website, this and that. Stay in constant contact. Don't let them forget who you are. And you can also do email blasts, something I don't do. That's just another thing to think of. But yeah, you don't want to tell them, oh, dude, we caught like a five-foot snakehead yesterday. And oh, today you caught a really little bluegill. Drunk clients. I had clients once. Uh, we were in the canoe. It was before I had the drift boat. So it was one guy in the canoe, and then we towed another guy in the kayak. Well, the guy in the kayak showed up with the biggest Starbucks cup ever, and it was full of, like, vodka tonic, so there was no smell. The guy was pissed drunk, and then he had a bag full of beers with him, so... Things go wrong when people consume alcohol, when fishing, when on boats. Alcohol, if you go to my FAQ, does not belong in a guided fly fishing trip. You don't drink when you're in boats. The first time I ever drank fishing, I broke all the toes in my right foot. It just doesn't belong. People can get hurt, dehydrated, injured. Most boating accidents occur with alcohol involved. It just doesn't belong. So tell them, leave the booze at home. You know, if you want to have one in the parking lot when you're done, that's fine. But then if they pay to be with you and you gave them their last beer and then they get an accident on the way home, you're mostly liable. The weather, uh, afternoon thunderstorms, that's going to be constant from now through September. Every day I've got to deal with thunderstorms. You're going to have to deal with floods. You're going to have to deal – and you can't do anything when that happens. 
try to find a different location. Go listen to the podcast about types of water, and you're going to find out, you know, about tailwaters and spring creeks, other options when the water's blown out. Having a kid is a huge issue for me. Dedicate as much time as I can to make this the most profitable job I can. It's hard when she's not napping and I'm trying to record a podcast or I'm trying to tie flies and she's getting into things or I've got clients that want to go out for an eight-hour trip, which for me is a lot of income, but I can't do it because I have her and I can only go out for three hours at a time. I can't wade out to certain places with her. Can't fish the tidal basin anymore. I can fish it with her. You know, There's three-hour parking there, but... I can't guide clients there. It's the easiest place for me to put her in a backpack and fish. So having a kid definitely interferes with your schedule, your time that you can dedicate to your job, et cetera. And I'm always tired with her. So sometimes it's hard to just get stuff done when you're exhausted from chasing a two-year-old around. Telemarketers, I got a call yesterday, and I swear it was a robot. Hello, 703. We would like to talk to you about a telephone answering service. I'm like, lady, it's just me. I don't need an answering service. Let me explain the details. I'm like, piss off, lady. It says no soliciting on my website, but no one sees that on the website. They still call. I told you it's always daily deals, people that want me to pay them for search engine optimization, just weird emails. I get this fish Guangzhou email once a month for this big fishing expo in Guangzhou, China. Uh, just people email you crap. I wish people send me more stuff. I once got like a four pound bag of trout beads in the mail and the guys like, try these out, see what you can do with them. Well, they sat in the closet for six years until I just found a use for them. But by now I don't have the guys contact anymore, but yeah, I love the free stuff in the mail. So always send that to me. That's the stuff I like. I don't like phone calls asking me to do stuff and it's not happening. Don't call me for daily deals anymore. I'm serious. All right, next up, getting hooked. Uh, I don't really get hooked by clients that much. I've had maybe two flesh wounds, but I definitely have gotten a lot of my Patagonia down jacket punctured. If you look at it, it's covered in tape. I used to use duct tape, but now I'm using this uh, tenacious tape, ultra strong repair tape I got from REI. And just holes. Clients are going to hook you all the time. Just be careful. Uh, you know, when you're standing behind them, if they're casting properly, they're not going to hook you. But I've been hitting the glasses with shad flies. I've been hitting the head. Um, we were out on the Rappahannock a couple weeks ago. I got hit on a bat cast. You know, a fly moves at like two to 300 miles an hour. And we're using my shad jig. So I basically got hit with a piece of lead going 200 miles an hour on like my index finger on my left hand. And that freaking stung. And you, you just got to suck it up. Lost flies. Oh, let's talk about clients getting hooked. So I've pulled hooks out of, this is why we debarb everything. Index fingers. Um, lift up your elbow and look at that big vein on your forearm. I pulled a hook out of one of those. I've pulled hooks out of noses. That was my friend Jesse in high school. I've pulled them out of throats, necks, hands, arms, ears. I've had them literally pierce someone's ear before. Um, hats, hair, you name it. Hooks get stuck in clients. It's usually when they're doing something wrong that they're going to hook themselves or someone else. So you have to know how to take a hook out, the mono method, or just not having barbs on them at all. All right, lost flies. I write off about 400 flies a year. I know I tied about two. I've already tied over 400 shad flies this year, and we still have a bunch, so I haven't lost that many yet, but you're going to lose flies. Your clients are going to break rods. 
They're going to step on them, trip on them, break them casting, break them off in trees. They're going to have flies hit them. They're going to, you name it, your clients are going to break your rods. So you got to have a lot of rods. Uh, having worked in a fly shop for so long, I accumulated a lot of rods and I still buy maybe one a year. So I've got you know, several dozen rods. Some of them are beaters. Some of them are very expensive. There's some rods I don't let clients use. My Orvis Henry's fork, nine foot five weight, super fine. That's like my pride and joy. And I won't let clients touch it. Even if I got 10 clients, which I've had to do before, I'm still not going to let them use that Henry's fork. And I've got everything from one weight to 10 weights. Got to have a big line of rods in there. And you got to have multiples of everything. Clients are going to break your fly lines. They're going to break your leaders. They're going to show up with 20-year-old leaders or 7X tippet when you're going for carp and snakeheads. So you're going to have to tie a lot of leaders. That's why I use monofilament. I don't do pre-made leaders. My boat's been scratched. I've had people jump in it with cleats on, even though I've had the whole thing lined with carpet from the dumpster in the carpet store. Um People are going to stick flies in the cork of your rod. And you're like, dude, no, no, that's an $800 rod. You know, don't do that to my Helios rod. They're going to, um, and a lot of people, you have to educate them on proper fly storage when you're done about the side of the hook keep. You're going to, you know, not putting the cork, not sticking it in the reel. So a lot of things that clients just don't know that you have to educate them as a guide on maintaining the quality of your gear and their gear. You have to deal with late clients. If I've got client from 8 to 12 and then one from 12.30, I've already estimated a lot of time for each people and I've given that person some time to be late. But if they're 30 minutes late and they show up and they don't have any of their gear ready to go, it's troublesome. I want my clients ready to go when we meet in the parking lot. If I say 1 o'clock, you know, I'm going to be there 20 minutes early, get everything ready. The waiter's laid out. My fly box is ready. Everything's rigged and ready to go. So a four-hour trip really for me is like six hours. It's 30 minutes driving, 30 minutes prep, 30 minutes taking down, 30 minutes coming home. It's a lot of time. You got to know knots. Uh, your clients are going to get knots in your leaders in your line all the time. So you got to be patient. If you spend more than 10 seconds undoing a knot, cut the line and start over. They're not there to watch you undo knots. So always have a spare rod with you that you can say, here, take this one while I get this one re-rigged. Bad client communication. Um, you know, sometimes they just don't tell you everything over the phone. I'm trying to think of why, you know, I wrote this all down mostly at 11 o'clock one night and then coming back, adding to it. Bad client communication. I can't remember that, but maybe they just don't give you the proper email address or they don't just correspond properly. Getting stood up. I've been in the parking lot before and had clients never show up and not say why. And that's why you have to have a deposit done early to ensure that you get paid regardless of them showing up. You too made a verbal or email contract that states they're going to show up and that means you're getting paid. I had one client who signed up for four hours. I called him after 30 minutes. You know, I called him 10 minutes in. That's usually my policy. 10 to 15 minutes, I'm calling you if you're not there. He, he, I called him like 30 minutes again. He's like, oh, sorry, we're, we're stopped. We're at five guys. What do you want? I'm like, I'm not hungry. We're supposed to be fishing right now. He's like, all right, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. And then he, I think he ate there. So it took like an, 40 minutes to an hour for him to get there. He shows up. His girlfriend sits with her MacBook on a rock and types. He fishes for like an hour and a half. He's like, you know what? This isn't what I thought it was going to be. I'm done. 
And that was the first day I realized I need to have payment in advance because I only got 60 bucks out of what should have been $160. And he wasted my entire afternoon and I got completely screwed. So I basically got stiffed and you have clients that, you know, sometimes you forget to ask for the money beforehand. I won't put you down to my calendar until there's a monetary uh, exchange and do my website. I have PayPal, Google checkout. You can cut me a check or of course is always cash. So you got to figure out how you're going to make payment. I also have the square for my phone so I can take credit cards on the spot. Those are most of the frustrations. You're going to have your own uh, being hungry out there, getting dehydrated, just little things reaching into your bag and realizing the box of flies isn't there or somehow you left your lanyard in the, your wife's car so you don't have anything to cut your line or smash barbs with. That's just, that's super, super frustrating or showing up and it's 103 degrees out and your client is wearing like burlap and jeans and you know, they're just going to die from dehydration. Unprepared clients, man, that gets me. All right. So clients, they come in all shapes and all sizes. You can't have two 400 pound guys in a boat. It just doesn't work. They're going to be all ages. I've had 70 year olds that can outrun me. They've gotten up the hill to the car faster than me. I've had People with hip replacements. When I worked in West Virginia, I had a client that had nip and he re- hip and knee replacements. So I ended up putting him in a float tube and I pulled him around the 45 acre lake all day. And I had the worst calf and toe cramps you can imagine. And it was great. He, he caught fish. That's all he wanted. He didn't care what he caught. We got bass and bluegill on sneaky Pete's all afternoon. It was great, but it was exhausting. Um, some, some clients just can't get in there and get out. That's why I love the tidal basin. Clients like that can fish there. All physical capabilities. You've got people that can deal with the heat, people that get cold easily, people that don't like the wind, don't like the snow. Everyone's different, and you're going to have to adjust for all these clients. And also, you're going to have all budgets. You're going to have people that, that only want to go out for a little bit, that can't tip you, that can't afford a really nice rod and reel. Um, so make do... With what they have, you know, make sure you, you know, explain all rods are going to catch fish, but they're not going to do it the same way. You're not going to have as much comfort or you're not going to have as much ease and accuracy. They might not be able to travel. They might not be able to purchase new gear. They might not be able to afford a fishing license, but they just want to hire you for an hour just so you can teach them their gear. Also, I already mentioned food allergies. You don't know what your clients are allergic to. So if you're bringing snacks, make sure you've got a variety, no nuts, and some um, things that you know you take for granted, but you, you really have to pay attention to food allergies these days. And my nephews are allergic to everything, so it's kind of hard. When I made tandoori lunch for them the other day, I had a they couldn't have a lot of the stuff like the doll and and uh, other dishes because they may have been made in factories that contain nuts. So you never know these days, and you can kill somebody if they're allergic to bees and they step on a bee nest or something when you're out fishing. So just be careful, know everything about your clients beforehand and hopefully you're going to have a great day with them. All right. What to bring. This is a, a long list of things, depending on if you're shoulder bagging it, if you're sling packing it, if you're wet wading, going in a boat, going in a kayak, a canoe, a drift boat, things that you need to bring to be a guide. Advil or Tom's. You never know when someone's hung over, when they have a headache, when they have heartburn, just some simple things that you can have to make their day easier. Now we all fish urban areas or places where you can just walk up 
to a 7-Eleven, grab some Toms and a Slurpee, be back in less than a minute. So that's sort of lucky that I'm not out in the wilderness all day where we don't have amenities near us. Binoculars, if we're looking at birds, for watching other anglers, for watching the fish, and for watching the ladies in the bikinis go by. Oh, did I say that? Yeah, the bikini hatch. Some clients want to check that out. I may have already mentioned the two Marines that, you know, one of them lost an 18-inch striper because a girl ran by and he just gotten back from Iraq and hadn't seen, quote, unquote, a female in 10 months. So uh, yeah, he was pretty stoked. They, they just wanted to check out the girls. They were more interested in being out on a warm October day and watching girls run by. Camera. I've got the digital camera. I've got the flip. I've got the GoPro. I've got my phone. Always be able to take pictures. You take pictures underwater. I've got the lenses now for my iPhone so I can do telephoto, macro, and fisheye lens. And that way, you know, these people want to, A, they want to prove to their wife that they weren't at the strip club. They want to prove to people that they did catch a fish. They want pictures of their big fish, the fish of the lifetime, their first fish, the fish they caught on the fly they tie themselves, all things that people want to document. And now you can do it very easily. I end up using my iPhone now more than anything else. Car chargers, if you're going from point A to point B, Make sure you got like an iPhone charger, a macro USB, a micro USB, so they can charge their devices between streams if you're traveling or going to lunch or something. Catalogs. I usually get catalogs from Orvis, LL Bean, and I keep those in my car to hand to my clients and say, hey, the best way to learn the names of the flies, the different types of rods and reels, and just the names of all this jargon and fly fishing is to get a catalog. Keep it next to your toilet, keep it on the coffee table, and flip through it. Get as many free catalogs. You want The Fly Shop. You want Fish West. You want Orvis. You want L.L. Bean. You want The Fly Shack. All these different companies are going to send you, hopefully, free catalogs, and you're going to buy stuff from them, but it's a great way to learn about, it's not a sport, the lifestyle of fly fishing. Things that can really make a day go better and get you a tip are cigars. A lot of guys, you know, they're out on the water. They're away from their families for the day. They want to have some fun. They don't normally get to smoke cigars. They're going to love it. I buy JRs. They're generic for Cohibas. The Cohiba itself would be $38, but I paid $2 per Cohiba generic from JRs. It's a bundle of 20. It's like 40 something bucks. And I keep a, a generic Tupperware humidor with me, cigar cutter and butane lighter. That can really make for a fun day if they have cigars. A cooler, either in your car or on your boat, just the ice for them to put their beverages in, for you to put sandwiches in, just Cold drinks in the summer are very important. Now, are you going to bring drinks for them or they can provide their own? I don't do bottled water. I think it's it's environmentally just a nightmare. It's stupid. Everyone should be able to carry their own water. So I'll have Nalgene's. I'll freeze water bottles. Anybody can drink out of those if they don't mind drinking tap water. I'll give you a fresh one that I haven't drank out of, but I'm not providing tap water. I'm sorry, bottled water for clients. That's just nope, not happening. Duct tape. Always have duct tape. You want to tape your fingers up so you don't get burnt from your line zipping out when you catch a carp. You want to protect your fingertips from ice. You have to fix things, tape reels to rods, patch up waders, duct tape. You know, you always have it for any situation. Extra flies. Man, I might only fish six patterns sometimes, but you're going to have 10 of each. More and more of everything. Just boxes of flies. You know, things get lost. Things happen. You lose boxes. Just have as many flies as possible and the flies that work too. Um, extras of lot, extra of everything, double up, triple up. I want to make sure, you know, I, when I go traveling, I carry so much crap. That's just extra fishing gear. Same way with I'm guiding. I've got like four nets, 
you know, I already mentioned the cameras. I carry extra hemostats, extra nippers, um, hook files. Once you use one, you're not going to go back to not using one. You're always gonna have a hook file on you. Finger guards. I've got stripping guards for my clients. I have fingertipless gloves for the summer and winter. Most clients show up and they've got big old like mitts on their hands in winter and you can't get dexterity in your line or grip. So I always have extra fingertipless gloves, either made by Barber, Patagonia, or the Military Surplus Store. First aid kit, got to have one of those. I carry that in my bag always. Extra hemostats, I also sell hemostats for a dollar each. They're stainless from Pakistan. Hiking socks, clean hiking socks. Your clients might show up to go wading in the summer and they have flip-flops on or they just don't have socks at all. They might be wearing loafers or something. Always have a lighter with you. Uh, if you got to open up that beer in the parking lot or if you want to do cigars or their lighter gets wet, I have a client, Scott. We haven't fished in a while, but Scott, lights. he comes with a pipe lit and he'll light cigars at 7 a.m. I've found it's really hard to row and smoke a cigar at the same time. Machete. Um, if you got to trim branches and stuff, brush to get in and out. Machetes are great. I've got uh, the SOG Jungle Primitive. It was $29 from Smoky Mountain Knife Works. A net is always good to make sure you land your fish safely so you don't have to handle them. Stinky fish too, so your clients always get a picture with them. Nippers, you know, I always go with the nail clippers now, but I carry extras. Life jackets, I carry about five in the boat. I have everything from small to 2XL. The problem with the 2XL ones are they're like neoprene and you sweat in them. Polarized glasses, your clients are gonna show up without polarized glasses. My FAQ, I say bring polarized glasses. If not, I used to have extra Costas, but my wife lost them. So I've got Orvis and like Kmart or Walmart glasses. Because if your clients can see the fish and see where they're walking, it's going to make for a more enjoyable experience. Pruning shears, I always carry those for the pricker bushes. Four-mile run gets overgrown with thorns. I punctured my Patagonia waders last year because I did not have them. So I carried pruning shears in my bag. I already mentioned snacks. I always eat sunflower seeds, beef jerky. Sometimes your clients just, man, I could really go for something to eat. And you're you're not near somewhere that they can go grab food. Sometimes they can just go up and get some tamales or nachos and come back down to the stream where we are. Other times they can't. So have some snacks on you. Sunglass repair kit. This is a little one from Rite Aid. It's got the screwdriver. It's got little rubber bands. It's got screws and nose pads. Because if your sunglasses break, to me, that's about the worst thing. It's like getting a flat tire. It's You can't do much. Sunscreen. Always have sunscreen. We keep spray. We keep, I keep a nose stick. And, of course, I have my Dermatone. I have different options for different people. I always have to apply it to my nose and cheekbones and my fingers throughout the day and my feet. Sun will kill you. Sun can kill your clients. Don't want to kill your clients. And have Ziploc bags. For electronics, for phones, for cameras, etc., for their food. And I also carry trash bags for anybody that wants to keep a snakehead, plus a fillet knife and a stringer. And I know there's hundreds of things that I need to mention and forgot about the lifestyle of being a guide, but they didn't come to me in time. So I hope that gave you an idea of what it's like to be a fly fishing guide. Um, it's It's a busy life. It's a fun life. It's not always the most economically efficient lifestyle, but you only live once and you want to enjoy your time on earth. So uh, go ahead and make that plunge and have fun with it. Educate people. And if you want to help me as a guide, of course, you go to proguidedirect.com and you can shop the merchandise that I suggest, or you can buy some of my custom flies 
on the website. If you need any website help converting tapes to MP3, your records, or VHS to digital, talk to Jason. He's going to take it away now and tell you all about his website. So thanks for joining me. Next up is going to be about alternative sources for fly time material. And wow, I was not expecting 138 minutes of talking, but there it is. Take care. And you thought it was over. All right. So I thought of a couple other things when I was going upstairs. Um, your flies. Are you buying flies from fly shops and catalogs? Are you buying them from overseas, you know, by like the hundreds? Or are you tying them yourself? The reason I ask this is my flies are all designed most I – mean, I'm not really fishing other people's flies. You know, I already made the analogy. It's like brushing – with someone else's toothbrush. I don't like using other people's flies. So uh, I use my own and mine have all been developed mostly on experience, fly fishing and guiding. They're easy and efficient to tie. They're economical and I can tie them quickly and they work. So a lot of my flies that I sell and use for my clients are things that are um, tweaked from other patterns or self-taught or self-imagined. And I'm using them to put fish in the boat or fish in the hand. And they're not going to have extra things on them. They're not made to impress my clients. They're made for the fish, first and foremost. Second, are you charging your clients uh, to use flies? Are you charging them to use waders? Are you charging them to use your rods? Are there additional fees in addition to the guiding fee? What are you going to be doing to your clients to make them have to pay more than they should. I allow my clients to use everything at no charge. I'm not charging them for food and snacks. I'm not charging them to use, you know, $300 waders. I'm not charging them to use all this expensive rods, reels, fly lines. You know, if they're using their rods and I put leaders and flies on there, if I put a loop on the end of the fly line, I'm not charging for that. That is all inclusive. And I already, I just mentioned knots. So knots you need to know as a guide, you should be able to know, Backing to line in case they lose line and they've got to put new line on. You're going to have to know how to tie surgeon's knots, single, double, triple. You're going to have to know how to do blood knots. You're going to have to know how to do loop-to-loop connections. You're going to have to know perfection loops. You're going to have to know how to do nail knots. And these are all mostly knots I learned from working in a fly shop. And that's the first thing I'm telling you. If you want a guide, go work in a fly shop. That's the easiest way you're going to gain the most amount of knowledge about the gear and the local fishing as possible is work in a fly shop. You can be that shop rat that's, you know, 15 and works there after school and, and just asks questions. When I worked in fly shops, I asked everyone questions. I, go out drinking at night with them. I'd ask them questions when we're folding clothes. Basically, just ask, 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 and gain as amount, most amount of knowledge as possible when you're doing this. I think that's it for now. And, um, yeah. Make sure your clients have hats. If you want to just go to the dollar store and get cheap baseball hats or go to the craft store and get cheap uh, some visors made out of craft foam, go ahead and do that. Because if they can't see, also they're not going to catch fish. That goes along with providing glasses and hats and socks and other things at no charge. And always have a chair. Always have chairs with you for your clients to put on 
their waders and boots. You want to make sure your waders and boots are clean. There's no rocks in them. There's no snot tissues in the waders. Always check your wader pockets when they're done because people leave money in them. They'll leave phones. They'll leave cameras behind. And when we worked at the fly shop. It was always great to get you know a dozen pair of waders back and you're cleaning them off and patching them. And then you look in the pockets and you find a 10 or 20. That was great. People also loved finding like a pack of cigarettes in there. What other things? I told you, I'm, I can talk about this all day because it's something I've been doing for 14 years and um, I'm always going to think of something else to add to it. Yeah. All right. So uh, for those of, asking you, of you asking about a new podcast, I hope this one was long enough. You can split it up into two uh, listening periods. And I'm going to go take a shower now and I'm probably going to think of something else. So I'm going to uh, just leave this file open for now. Thanks for, uh, I guess, part two of the podcast. So another frustration, I don't think this podcast is ever going to end, is when you get to a spot and someone else is there. So there's um, pressure on the site or – why can't I think of the word when you got another angler in the way and you want to you know, not crowd them? But I was fishing with a client the other day. It was great. In five minutes, she first time out fishing, she hooks into like a three-foot gar and ends up breaking her line. But there's a kid out there, and we move away from the hole and start fishing the shoreline, and the kid follows us. And then goes around us and starts fishing the water where we're about to go. So he's kind of spooking the fish. He's getting, you know, I don't want to say first dibs on them. But it was, I mean, he didn't know any better. The kid was like 10 years old. But that's another frustration when you get out there and there's other people out there just, you know, making a ruckus, swimming, splashing, chucking stuff in the water. Kids throwing rocks in the water always pisses me off. It's another one of my frustrations. All right, that's it for this time. I'm serious. That's it. No more. I'm done with this podcast. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com.